Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, today I want to talk about the invisibility technology that our visitors from other worlds apparently have uh, at their disposal. Um, now I touched on this in recent podcasts as well, but uh, I want to get into a little bit more today. Uh, but before we do, I want to talk about the uh, previous podcast uh, in which I had Matthew Ilsley. Uh, he's an investigator into the Calvin UFO incident and the the picture that they hit him and uh, Dr. David Clark had discovered uh, last year, uh, the first generation print uh, that we now have, uh, thanks to those guys. And uh, we were talking in that uh, previous podcast about uh, the the fact that uh, the Calvin now for one thing before I go on I've been calling this Calvine forever and I received a message from somebody uh, who told me no no buddy hey guess what it's not Calvine it's Calvin Calvin all right I guess you know I'm a dummy too sometimes everybody is so it's Calvin UFO incident but whatever the case uh, you know, we were talking about that in that previous podcast, and we did touch on one aspect of this that I think is something that we really need to think about, and it's the fact that uh, this is 33 years ago. This is 33. We're talking about something 33 years ago, and the Ministry of Defense is still not talking about this publicly. All right? That's absolutely absurd. If that was some sort of like we we t- touched on this in that in that uh, episode, if that was some sort of. Uh, uh, military craft, and it has to be outdated by now. The technology has to be antiquated, right? I mean, something that's 33 years old, we're talking 1990. Uh, I remember 1990. That's a long time ago now. I was a very young man. I was just, what, uh, 20, I turned 22 years old in, in, in 1990. I was, for most most of that year, I was a 21-year-old man, you know, going to bars and getting bombed and, you know, going home, sleeping it off in, uh, in someone's backyard still. I mean, I was like, you know, a kid, basically. That's a long time ago. I mean, look at the technology from that we have. We, we touched on this in that last podcast. The, te- the technology that we had back in 1990 compared to what we have now, it's, 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 it's absurd. So to think that for whatever, why would they have to keep this a secret? Why is this uh, a military secret if it was some sort of a military craft? I don't, that, that's what makes me think that this is not a military craft that people, that these two, uh, porters saw back in 1990 i don't think it was i think it was something else why else would you be quiet about it for 33 years okay the first 10 years or so or the first 15 years okay but now we're talking 33 years i mean we're talking the difference between a, a model t and and a, a, an electrical powered car here i mean this is ridiculous what, what, what what's there to keep quiet about here at this point I mean, this, this, if, if it's military, if that was just simply some testing of a military craft uh, by the Americans on British uh, territory, I mean, okay, well, let us know what it is now. It's 33 years ago. That, you can't be still flying around on one of those things, right? So that's what makes me think that it's not. It's not. I don't think it is. I don't think that thing. I think that Calvin UFO is actually something from another planet. That's what I think it is. That's what. That's why. Uh, I, now, I, I, after thinking about this, thinking it through, like I always said before, my my opinion on this was that I just don't know. But I'm going to say this now. I don't think it is. I don't think it is a military craft. I think it's uh, something from outer space. I think it's something that was controlled by extraterrestrials. And there, there were uh, obviously military planes flying around it, right, checking it out, wondering what it is probably. That's what it seems like to me. And then it to- took off straight up up into the sky and disappeared. Now, of course, we, we, we still don't know uh, exactly 
who and where this photographer is. Uh, we have a name, uh, Kevin Russell. We don't know if he's actually the real photographer who took the picture or if there's somebody else. But uh, if the Kevin Russell is, is out there who we are talking about and, and, and he is the person who took that picture or if the person has a different name, whoever it is, it'd be nice to, to talk to, the, to that person as well as to the person who was with him. To, to find out, uh, to get more information on how this thing performed. Did it really hover there for 10 minutes and then shoot off straight up? Uh, w w were there, did it look like you could see rivets and, 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 and you, something that would make you think that it was man-made? Did you see that on this craft? Uh, do you ha happen to have any uh, better pictures uh, at, at, uh, in your possession? Uh, it would be nice to put this uh, uh, mystery to bed, uh, but I think what we're going to find out is that uh, this thing is was not a military test. I think it was probably something from another world, and that's why are they still keeping it quiet after 33 years? If it was some sort of a secret military craft, it is time to come clean on and tell us about it, right? I mean, it's 33 years ago. That that Whatever it was, it couldn't be still in use today, right? So that's where I'm at with this. I, I just think that... Uh, uh, that it most likely, I think I, I, I'm leaning now toward extraterrestrial craft. Before I was unknown, I just did not know. But now, after thinking about it, after the discussion with Matthew Ilsley in the previous podcast, I am now uh, leaning toward extraterrestrial craft because there's absolutely no reason uh, to keep uh, under wraps a potential military craft that was being uh, uh, experimented with back in 1990 because that's 33 years ago that's a long time ago now folks a long time ago i mean it's if it's a military craft let us know what, what, the details of that military craft i mean did you ever did you ever make anything more out of it or or was that just some prototype that 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 got uh, uh put away and and never uh never examined again i mean I, I just to me i think that this was extraterrestrial that's i'm leaning toward that i don't i'm not 100 percent. no of course not but i do believe uh that most likely this was extraterrestrial uh, otherwise there would be no reason to keep continue this cover-up uh, for this many years it's absolutely ridiculous um anyway uh moving on i want to talk about uh invisibility you know it was when i was i brought it up in a recent podcast about this and then lo and behold there was a uh, a little video segment on uh, one of my favorite UFO websites, or uh, YouTube channels rather, uh, Eyes on Cinema. There's there's a couple of channels on YouTube that I really, really like. I talk about them every now and then on here. One of them's Eyes on Cinema, and the other one is UFOB. I really like these sites because uh, basically you get little snippets from all these little documentaries and interviews that people had during TV news on, on TV news breaks over the decades right and when you put it all together it, t it paints a picture it tells a story that we are most certainly not alone that's what the the, the, the service that those two YouTube sites has uh, provides is basically uh, making it very clear that we are not alone and there are many many people throughout the decades who have encountered not only just not only UFOs up close, Right, but some of them have encountered extraterrestrial beings. Some of them, some of them have been abducted. There's just so much stuff on there; it's fantastic. Now, one of the stories, and I'll leave the link for it. There was only about a minute or maybe two, one or two minutes long. It was a little interview uh, that uh, from a, an encounter that somebody had back in the '90s with a craft that uh, appeared out of nowhere, basically. Uh, there was nothing there and then and then next thing you know there was something there and that's the story i want to talk about uh today so on the same day that eyes on cinema posted this little snippet there was also an article that appeared 
uh, on uh, breakingnewsstreams.com. I'll leave the link for it here. It's, it's called the, 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 the Payton Sighting of 1998, Fred Lewis's Unexplained Encounter. Uh, it says here, Payton, a serene coastal town situated in Devon, England, is often characterized by its gentle waves, historic landmarks, and the harmonious lives of its residents. But every so often, an event occurs that challenges the ordinary, making us question the very fabric of reality. Such was the case on a seemingly uneventful summer evening in 1998. Fred Lewis, by all accounts a regular resident of Painton, decided, as was his routine, to take his dog out for an evening walk. The sun was setting, casting long shadows and painting the sky in hues of orange and purple. But as they neared a particular fence, the scene shifted from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Lewis's dog, displaying an uncharacteristic behavior, fixed its gaze on a particular spot in the field. The, intensely and, uh, the intensity and focus in the dog's eyes was palpable. Trusting the instincts of his canine companion, Lewis turned his attention to the same spot. Initially, there was nothing, but in a matter of moments, the empty space began to shift. Uh, now, I just want to point out that uh, I've heard these kind of stories before. In fact, I talked to somebody uh, who had an experience in the late 1960s here in Pennsylvania. Uh, near a, there was a, I've done a, a podcast on this. I actually went to the site where it happened. Uh, there was these water-filled stripping pits uh, uh, on this property where this guy was a, a security guard, and he was there with his dog, and the dog started acting funny, and he, the dog wouldn't move any further. He wouldn't get near where this one uh, water-filled stripping mine was, where they used to dig out coal, and then it filled after. Then they were, when they were done with it, it filled up with water, and it stayed that way forever. It's still like that. But anyway, this guy's dog, Bumsy, wouldn't go near uh, this this property where this where near this area where this uh, uh, where the uh, where this wa- water-filled stripping pit was. So he wouldn't go near it. And then uh, this guy, his name was Leonard Yolosis, who's now passed on. Uh, he said, uh, he, next thing you know, this was in the middle of the winter too. It was, it was snow on the ground. I, the the, the uh, stripping pit was filled, the, the cover, the top of it was filled, was covered with ice. But there was a round circle in it, he saw. And next thing you know, a flying saucer came flying out from under the water and just went straight up into the air. Uh, but anyway, that that's very similar to what this is like. The dogs notice these things. Animals notice things when things are out of place. It seems when when extraterrestrials show up, it seems like dogs know it. But anyway, uh, he noticed in a matter of moments the do- this guy's dog, uh, Lewis's dog, was acting strange. And then uh, he know he was looking at a, a a section in this field, and all of a sudden that space in the middle of the field started to change, started to shift. Anyway, just uh, continuing here with this article, it says, Describing the event, Lewis recalled, an object materialized over a space of about three seconds. It began like a faint hologram, but quickly solidified, becoming tangible and very real. This wasn't a fleeting vision in the corner of his eye. The object was undeniably present and merely 40 feet away. Taking the form of a rectangular block, its dimensions were clear, about 10 feet in length, 4 feet wide, and 3 feet deep. But the, mysterious, but the mystery surrounding the object didn't end with its sudden appearance. Lewis 
with a keen observer's eye, noted several peculiarities. The object, whether it was slightly above the ground or resting upon it, showcased two pronounced holes on its back. These openings emitted an orange-yellow light that pulsed slowly at first. As minutes passed, the pulsations grew more rapid, and in response, the object began to levitate, rising to approximately, approximately two feet off the ground. The synchronized dance of light and motion led Lewis to believe that a significant event was on the horizon. News of this encounter didn't remain confined to the quiet lanes of Peyton. As word spread, the town became a focal point for both the curious and the skeptical. Journalists, UFO enthusiasts, and locals all sought to understand, analyze, and perhaps even experience a hint of the mystery that Lewis had encountered. Through all the discussions, debates, and speculations, one element remained consistent, the genuine bafflement and sincerity in Lewis's account. Here was a man, not known for flights of fancy, recounting an experience that defied logical explanation. His detailed observations, the consistent narrative, and even the corroborative behavior of his dog added layers of authenticity to his claims. Decades have passed since the summer evening in Peyton, while the world has moved on, embracing new technologies and understanding, the evening of 1998 stands as a testament to the universe's endless mysteries. In, its, in the grand tapestry of human experiences, Lewis's encounter reminds us that there are moments, glimpses, and events that might forever remain unexplained, urging us to keep our minds open to the infinite possibilities that surround us. Now, this was written by uh, David Freeman. I got to say, thank you, David, for putting this out there. Great article. I'll leave the link here for everyone, for uh, anyone out there who's interested in reading about this. This is really good stuff. Um, and so, so basically, he's watching this thing, and all of a sudden, it, something appears out of nowhere. There's something there. It was invisible at first, and then it just showed up, and then it rises off the ground. Then it took off. It would disappeared. It, it went off into the sky and was never seen again. Uh, but obviously, this is another uh, another instance that tells us. Well, obviously, these beings have uh, invisibility powers. They could make their craft invisible. They, I think, they could make anything invisible that they want. I mean, look at we right now. The human race we're dabbling uh, with invisibility right now. In fact, uh, I was just reading uh, an article here uh, yesterday. This is from uh, July of 2023 from Z Z Me Science. And it talks about real-life invisibility cloaks are already here. So, I mean, we're working on these kind of things right now. Now, of course, invisibility cloaks 20, 30 years ago might have sounded too far-fetched. But now it's becoming a possibility. We could all see the the writing on the wall at this point. Yeah, we're, 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 we, could, we could achieve invisibility at this moment in time because of the technology that we have when it comes to... Uh, uh, cameras and, and high definition uh, tele monitors. I mean, we could make things look invisible, uh, and it, and it really wouldn't be that. It's really not that complicated now. As we as we progress, as 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 we become more advanced every single day, right? Tech, invisibility doesn't sound far fetched anymore to me. We could make in, things look invisible. And in, in fact, they're working on an invisibility cloak. I'm going to go through this article here a little bit. Uh, Here's it says, have you ever dreamed of the ability to roam the world without being seen? While the idea of invisibility has long fascinated human imagination, it seemed confined to the realms of science fiction. However, recent advancements in optical technology have brought us closer to our own very own real life invisibility cloaks. Although uh, not nearly as impressive or easy to use as the cloaks shown in Star Trek or Harry Potter, these yet early devices are redefining the meaning of the word stealth. Stealth. 
At its core, invisibility technology relies on manipulating light waves, which are responsible for our visual perception. Researchers have developed innovative approaches that bend and redirect light, effectively concealing objects from view. However, achieving a full-blown invisibility cloak across the entire visual spectrum is a huge challenge. Previously, scientists Scientists have made fighter jets invisible to radar and made thermal invisibility jackets that hide soldiers from enemy thermal cameras. But to conceal something from the naked eye as as if it never was there requires some serious engineering. Normally, when light interacts with an object, it is either absorbed or reflected, making the object visible. True transparency would require light to pass through an object undisturbed, as if it were not there. To achieve this, a cloaking device would need to redirect light from all directions around the object so that it appears invisible from every from any angle. Metamaterials, engineered materials with unique properties not found in nature, play a pivotal role in creating invisibility cloaks. By designing these materials with carefully arranged nanostructures, scientists can control the behavior of light waves. This field, known as transformation optics, allows for the manipulation of light around an object, making it appear invisible. Metal lenses, on the other hand, are thin lenses that can focus light of various wavelengths onto the same point overcoming the limitations of traditional lenses. Several cloaking mechanisms have been proposed and developed to achieve invisibility. One one approach involves bending light around an object, creating a cloak that renders it uh, optically transparent. Another method utilizes the redirection of light, making an object appear as if it were not there. These techniques require precise control over the speed, direction, and intensity of light waves to achieve the desired effect. Now, I'm not going to read this entire article, but uh, I just want to give you the idea that, yeah, they are, uh, that we are dabbling in invisibility. We've, we've been, we've been dabbling with invisibility uh, techniques. I mean, one way, I mean, if you really think about it, if you were to create, say, uh, a box, create a box that at all, on, on all sides of the box were, were, were was a, a, a high definition screen, the highest definition you could get, and, and then you had cameras on in, in every uh, inside the box pointing in all the opposite directions, but but showing uh, the images on the other side. That's how you could accomplish that. We 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 could do it. We're getting there, right? We're, we're getting there. We we're getting to the point where we're going to be able to make things completely look completely invisible to the naked eye, and so that comes when you when you start thinking about extraterrestrials. Uh, and and obviously they're, they're they're already playing around with advanced technology, uh, much more advanced than anything that we've got. So you have to understand that they're already there. They've already achieved this, obviously, because this is the story that we we're talking about here uh, with Fred Lewis. I mean, that's just one of many stories like this. The other day I was talking about a story from a uh, from 1954 where there was a uh, a girl walking home from parochial school and in the woods she saw a being and a craft and then the things just vanished right in front of her they just disappeared in this case with fred lewis the thing uh the, a craft j- uh, just appeared out of nowhere and then started lifting off the ground so they already have invisibility they could be watching you they could be hovering right over your house and you wouldn't see them uh now i don't know what 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 causes them to use their invisibility uh uh, technology and, and why sometimes they they seem not to use it. I don't understand what that what's going on there, but obviously they do use it uh, at some at, uh, in some cases, obviously. And I think that one of the things that one of the reasons we don't there's not more reports of these things is be most likely because they are using invisibility 
uh, technology on a regular basis, more so than we could possibly even realize. I mean, if you have it and you don't want people to know you're here or what you're up to, you use invisibility, right? And that would make sense. I mean, we'd be fantastic to have that power, uh, but they actually obviously do. Um, we're getting there. We're, we're developing it, but we're still not there yet. But it reminds me of, like, I remember... You know, I'm a big fan of 3D. You see what we're doing right now with 3D technology. Um, Now, a lot of people complain, like in the in the mid uh, to around two from about 2011, 2012 to about 2016, 3D TVs were available. They weren't a big hit because a lot of people don't like wearing the glasses. So that's now they don't make them anymore. The 4K models that have been coming out over the years. They don't include the 3D option. I think 3D is awesome. I love watching things in 3D. I love particularly vintage 3D uh, movies like from the 50s and things like that. There's some really interesting things that were made in three dimensions uh, back in the 50s and also uh, during the early 80s. I am interested in that. In fact, I do have a setup where I could watch 3D content. However... We are working on things right now, 3D screens that require no glasses, and you get and and you could have a, a certain amount of people sitting there watching it, and and the cameras inside the TV because your you, 3D requires two separate images, right? Your brain has to see two separate images at the same time, or it's not going to work. So what these TVs do, they, they there's cameras inside the TVs that uh, that uh, lock on each of your eyeballs, so they know where each of your eyes are at any moment during the entire time you're sitting there watching the tv so it, it's able to generate a 3d image for you personally and then for the anybody else that's watching it too so that's the direction that we're heading in we look at the technology that we have right now so you have the, the uh you can create actually you could actually create holograms i mean potentially in the future that people would see even if it's not there it's amazing the technology that we have right now that we're 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 uh we're aspiring to achieve so you have to imagine what these visitors have at their disposal. Obviously, they have invisibility. They, obviously, they could do a lot of things that you, you, we just couldn't even dream of doing. Uh, we couldn't have dream. We couldn't have dreamed of doing it uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But today, uh, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we are going to be able to do these kind of things. So I, it's very exciting to uh, to think about where we're heading on that. And also, it's also very, in a way, could be. It's exciting and troubling to think about what kind of invisibility uh, technology are these visitors have at their disposal. They could be anywhere, and you 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 know you might not see it. They could be out in your backyard. Their craft could be landed, and you wouldn't know it was there because they have invisibility powers. It's amazing to think of. It's fantastic, but hey, I think that's the uh, uh, that's the truth of it. Now I'm going to talk about something. I saved this till till last because there are going to be some people out there that aren't going to want to hear this story again. But I had received requests from some new followers I, uh, uh, in, in a couple of emails and also in a uh, in a, one of the messages on YouTube or on Spotify, uh, wanting to hear the story about uh, the in the uh, what I believe was an encounter that I had in Hawaii. And I've told this story a number of times before. And every time when I tell a story over again. Uh, some people don't like that and say, hey, you keep telling the same story over again. Well, I, I waited till last this time. So if you don't want to hear it, then uh, this is the way uh, now Now is the time to bow out. But I'm going to get into the incident that happened when I was in Hawaii and, and the 
the entire story of of what I uh, the encounter. I think I think that the in, in that day I believe that there was a, a good probability that there was an ex- extraterrestrials there and they were using invisibility and that's why I didn't see them and that's why they were able to. The, there was some strange things that happened and I, and I believe that the uh, invisibility. You, the the use of invisibility technology by extraterrestrials is the reason it was so strange to me. Anyway, uh, yeah, in two, from 2007 to 2009, I lived on the Big Island in Hawaii, and uh, when I got there, uh, uh, well, I actually I was for the first four months I rented I rented a room until I got my uh, feet on the ground there because you know you're you're moving from the, the mainland and you're going to an island. It's just, it's a big deal. So for the first four months, I, I, uh, I, I lived. I rented a room, and I was renting this room from this guy. His name was Buck Wheat. Uh, and anyway, <laughs> after I, I got out of there, uh, and I, I got a house. I, and then I, I found a house finally, and it was a house. It was like in the jungle. Uh, uh, it was in a place called Paradise Park. It was like, like a tropical rainforest. It rained a lot in this area, so all the houses there were built on stilts. And I was only, I was probably there for a couple of months and uh, Buck had a dog that uh, uh, he was trying to find a home for and the dog's name was Goldie. It was a grown, fully, uh, it was it was uh, already pretty big. It wasn't a puppy anymore, but it still had the puppy mentality. It was still pretty wild. So I took this dog, Goldie, in and, uh, and uh, you know, she was pretty wild and I had this dog for, I don't know, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month at the most at, the, at this point. Uh, it was hard trying to train her because I was at this time I was I was there by myself at this time still so I really you know I went to work I was gone at work all day long 10 11 hours and I would get home and you know so I didn't really have a lot of time uh, so on the she, she would go wild a lot she would run around she, she wouldn't she was having you know I was training her but she was getting better and better but she still was you know some some dogs <laughs> at that age and they're about a year old and they're they still got some wild in them and this dog really did in fact the one time I was driving uh, with the I had two dogs actually her and another dog that I had from the mainland and we were driving to I was taking them to go to the uh, for a walk along this uh, rock rocky beachfront area and I was driving down the uh, road and she actually I had the windows open. She actually jumped out the window while I was driving to chase after another car. Uh, so that's, that's how wild she was. So anyway, the one day I, uh, I was like a Saturday morning, late morning. I went out to cut the grass around the house and you had to use a weed whacker because the terrain was all lava rock. Right? It was very, very, uh, uh rugged. Uh, and you couldn't use a lawnmower. So I didn't want to leave her in the house because if when I left her in the house and I was outside, she'd be barking and running around, tearing things up. So I brought her out with me, but I didn't want her to run away either. So I had this long chain and I connected the, uh, her collar to the one end of the chain and I wrapped the other part of the chain around one of the stilts that held up the house because, again, it was in a tropical rainforest. And I clicked the link, uh, clicked uh, the end of that uh loop into a link in the chain and she was she was tied to the uh, side of the house and she she had a lot of room to run around because the chain was pretty long and anyway i started cutting the grass with the weed whacker and that weed the sound of the weed whacker had her going you know she didn't like the sound of it and uh so anyway i just tried to ignore it and just start kept on cutting some of the weeds and i went under the house and i was hitting a couple of weeds under there and i just saw the dog she was you know on on the chain pulling a you know pulling on the chain uh, you know, running around, you know, barking, whatever. 
and then she stopped. I like like two seconds. She was. And, uh, I looked at her, and then two seconds later, I hit. A, you know, she's gone. I was. I hit a couple of weeds, and I looked back, and she was gone. So I stopped what I was doing, thinking that she probably didn't like the sound of the weed whacker and she pulled the whole chain the whole thing with her and disappeared ran out in the road or something i don't know where she could have gone but that's what i thought and uh i, I was yelling for her trying to call her to calling her name to come back she wasn't coming back i went i took i went out to the there was a dirt road that led to the dirt road that led to my house i'm looking at bo- both ends of these dirt roads i can't see she's not coming she's nowhere to be found She's not listening. I looked all around the perimeter of the house. There was all this low to the ground, dense vegetation all around the house. You could see over it. It only came up to your, maybe your knees or your calf, you know, at at most, but she's not there. I'm looking for her for about an hour and she's not there. And then I started thinking, well, maybe she ran all, there was a, uh, there was a, the, the main road, uh, was about, I don't know, maybe three miles away, something like that, on this dirt road. I was thinking, what if she ran all the way to that road or and somebody picked her up and dropped her off at a kennel? Because she's here, she hears a dog running around with a big long chain on you know, on on her. So I actually took a ride to the kennel because it wasn't that far away. I went to the kennel. They said no, that your dog that dog's there, there was nobody brought any dog in. Uh, and then I drove back to the house and I continued searching for the dog and I could not find her. I, I looked everywhere all around the perimeter again, looking, calling her name. She's not, she's not listening. Not, she's not coming. And I gave up. I actually gave up and I was like, I guess I just have to see, sit and wait until she comes back on her own accord. So I sat down on the steps and right when I sat down on the steps, right across from me in an area I had just looked at it about five times at least, right? She rises up right in front of me. And she comes walking out with, and the chain was still attached to her. And I was like, wow, uh, she couldn't have gone too far with this chain on her. That's, that was for sure. But I just thought she probably broke the other end of the chain. And that's how she got away. She was just afraid of the sound of the weed whacker, but she was, she was, uh, it was, she was, uh, she was calm too. And she, that was, that was strange. She was pretty calm when she came walking out of those bushes. But the weirdest part then was the other end of the chain. It was still in the loop. It was still connected. Like it was like it never came apart. Like I thought that that's what broke. You know, that's how she got away. But that wasn't the case. The loop was still there, and the other end was still attached to her collar. So the only thing I could think of is that there must have been a space along that uh, stilt that I had wrapped it around. And I'm looking on the stilt, and I'm thinking, well, there's no. Sp- I'm looking. I'm looking for a space, but there is no space. The thing went all the way into the ground. It was holding the house up. And so there was one end inside the ground and the other end was holding the house up. So I couldn't figure it out. So then I was thinking, well, maybe I didn't tire to that one. Maybe I tired of this one. There's other posts here. Maybe I tired of this one or this one or this one. So I start looking at all these possibilities, but there was no, there was nothing that it could have been where that thing, that chain could have came off like that. There's just nothing was there. And so I remember even after, uh, I, I couldn't figure it out. I remember even like a, a week or two after that, I, like I would I would get home from work and, and go over it again because I just couldn't figure this out. Like, how did that happen? That's impossible. Uh, and then I started thinking, was it a ghost or something like that? Because I heard stories over there. I heard tales of, uh, of night marchers, ancient Hawaiians that marched around the island. I remember here, I had heard that story not long before this incident happened. I thought, well, maybe I, hey, that's it. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. And it was at some point, I believe, I, I, you know, some years, a few years later, I was watching something about Skinwalker Ranch and the uh, some of the 
the activity that some of the people that were living there at the time in the 90s, some of the poltergeist type activity where things would go missing, you know, so the, the, the wife would go in the shower and she'd come back and all the stuff she just laid out was gone. And then she would find it like a few days later, put somewhere else or, or, the, or, the, or the husband was out going to uh, dig a hole somewhere and, 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 and the thing he was going to dig a hole with disappeared. And then oh, two weeks later, it shows up in a tree. I mean, the, I, I, when I saw that show, when I start, when I read about this, right? I didn't see the show. I actually read about it. When I read about that, I started thinking to myself, that, that's what that could have been. Maybe it was extraterrestrials that day in Hawaii. And that was the explanation. Maybe they took the dog, right? And that's, that, that explains all this because I have no other explanation for it. There was no, no, I never could come up with anything else other than this. I mean, what else could it be? I mean, I already did have two other encounters that I'm certain of were extraterrestrials in years pre previous, right? So why not a third one? And maybe this is the third one. And this was a, uh, I don't know why, what the reasoning was behind this, but was it some sort of display of power? Perhaps, I don't know. Or were they screwing around? Did they want to abduct a dog and put an implant in that in, the, in my dog for some reason? I don't know. Maybe I have an implant because I was, because I've encountered an alien before and I just don't know it. Who, who knows what the reasoning could be? But the bottom line is that th this happened and in, in, it was a beautiful day that day. I remember it was the sun was shining. It was fantastic. Of course, every day Hawaii was a beautiful place to live, folks. Let me tell you, it was, the Big Island was so awesome. I was there for a little over two years. It was totally great. And it was such a beautiful day that day. And, and, and I think now, I mean, if it could have been extraterrestrials and they could have been using some sort of invisibility technology. And that's why I couldn't see what happened? I mean, they could have taken the dog basically right in front. For all I know, there was something, a craft hovering up right above that vegetation. Who knows where they were? Maybe right above the house, but I didn't see it. I didn't see anything. There was nothing there. And there was nobody. I had no neighbors, basically. I mean, the neighbors were very far away. Uh, so it couldn't have been any, it couldn't have been anybody screwing around or anything like that. It just couldn't have been. And I have no other explanation other than I think it might have been extraterrestrials. That's the only explanation I could really come up with for as fantastic as that sounds. Uh, but that's what I think it was. I think that there was invisibility was used that day uh, to keep that crap, to keep them from, to keep them from, uh, actually to keep me from seeing them. And that's what happened. That's what I think happened. And I don't know why they did it or what the purpose was behind it. Or they're playing just playing games with me, or maybe they they wanted to do something with the dog, or who knows? I don't know, but I have a feeling that that's what it was. Uh, I'm I, I'm not a hundred percent on that one, but I have no other explanation for it because I guess the bottom line is this: we hear stories of these, uh, you know, people. Some people who get abducted say they see creatures walking through walls. I mean, obviously, if that's if they're able to walk through walls, they they have some sort of the, they've developed some sort of power where they can actually move through solid matter. Is that what happened that day? Did they did, did they use some sort of technology, not only invisibility technology to keep themselves hidden from me, right? But did they use some other sort of technology to to take that dog to remove that chain without breaking it, like to actually have that end of that chain, the loop, go through solid matter? I mean, again, it happened so fast. I mean, I turned around one second, uh, and then two or three seconds later, the dog's gone. It, it was an, it, it's it, and you know I, I don't know how that's possible but that's what happened it was gone and there was, it, no sign of it for over two hours two and a half hours it lasted anyway 
Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. I thought that, you know, I know a lot of people uh, heard this story before and they don't want to hear it. That's why I saved it till the end. Um, anyway, I want to say uh, thank you for joining me. Until next time.